Well, the primary text for our message this morning is 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 3, that speaks to us about growing up into our salvation by the nourishment, by the pure milk that God provides. Um, and so we're going to look into what that means. We have a few texts before us that remind us that the Lord is indeed good and that he does nourish us. Uh, so after Don reads for us from 1 Peter 2, then Sarah Rutman will come and read for us from Psalm 34, verses 4 to 10, reminding us of the goodness and the power of God. Anna will then come and read for us from Psalm 19, 7 through 11, again reminding us of the same themes. And then lastly, Kathy will come uh, and read for us from Colossians 3, 1 to 10, reminding us of how we are to walk, how we are to grow in this salvation uh, that God has provided. And so with that, Don, uh, feel free to come forward and begin our readings. So put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If you indeed have tasted, the Lord is good. Psalm 34, 4 to 10. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm nineteen seven through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Colossians 3, 1-10. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the God. Set your mind on the things above, and not on things on this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ, in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked, when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, 
and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is, who is being renewed in the truth, knowledge, according to the image of the one who is creating him. Well, as we look at our passage this morning, we see that the key phrase is that by it, that is by this pure spiritual milk that we'll look at in just a moment, by it you may grow up into salvation. That by it you may grow up into salvation. Now as Kathy just read for us in Colossians 3, this salvation that we are to grow up into truly is a glorious salvation, is it not? So many times we might be tempted to think that our salvation is something that was accomplished in the past tense, and now in the Christian life what we're really doing is we're kind of building on top of the salvation that we once experienced, right? We might visualize it as something like someone uh, preached the gospel to us and we were saved And now that we're saved, there's a lot of things we have to do because we are saved. And so the being saved is in the past tense, so to speak. And all of our activity at present is kind of building upon the past tense of the salvation that has been accomplished. And yet, Peter here obviously has a very different concept of what salvation is, right? Of how it is that we live in Jesus Christ. He says that by it, by this pure spiritual milk, we may grow up into salvation. Grow up into salvation. In other words, for Peter, salvation is a very big concept, a very big idea, something that none of us have fully experienced yet. Yes, we may have had a foretaste of it, we may have experienced something of it, but there is still much more to grow up into. And if we are to grow up into this salvation, then we must be like newborn infants and long for the pure spiritual milk. We must be like newborn infants and long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, consider that image for just a moment. I'm sure even those of you here who have never had children, who've never had an infant, can imagine how an infant must long for milk, right? Uh, an infant, if an infant does not get milk, it is going to cry constantly, right? It is not going to grow. In fact, over time, the infant will die. There's nothing else that an infant can drink aside from milk. And so the, the longing that Peter is talking about here is a deep longing indeed. The, uh, the Greek word for long here is epipatheo. Now, patheo itself means to desire or to long for. And when Peter puts that uh, prefix on it, epi, epi epipatheo, it means to exceedingly long after or strongly desire. In other words, we don't just desire this a little bit. This is not just one thing in life that we want when we have the opportunity for it. No, we epipatheo, this pure spiritual milk. We desire it as much as we could desire anything in the world. Now, why would we desire this pure spiritual milk so much? Well, I think it goes back to the verses that we've been looking at just the last couple weeks. Look in verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. 
We have been born again, beloved. We have been given a new self, a new identity. We are new people when we are in Jesus Christ. And if we are new people with a new identity, that means that we cannot grow, we cannot be nourished according to the ways and according to the patterns of our old self, right? Our natural self is nourished by natural things, is it not? If we want to keep our bodies alive and working, there are certain things we have to do, right? We do have to eat food. We have to sleep. Uh, there's other needs that we have that many people have studied. We need certain things if we are to keep our natural bodies alive. Well, because we have been born again, we have new identity, we are new people in God, that means that we also need new nourishment. We need a new way to strengthen that body, to make that body grow up into the salvation that God has provided for us. And if we do not get that, if we do not get that spiritual milk, then we are like a newborn infant that does not get milk. That new person, that new identity will die if it is not nourished, if it does not get this pure spiritual milk that only God can provide. Now, that obviously raises an enormous question, does it not? What is the pure spiritual milk? What is this milk that will keep us alive? Well, it's not an easy question to answer, actually. Here in our ESV translation, it says pure spiritual milk, but that word for spiritual is only in one other place in the New Testament, and there, there it's translated as reasonable. And really, I think the best way to define uh, this, this milk, this spiritual milk, or this word reasonable, or, or spiritual in our translation, this word spiritual, is that which is true and real to the essential nature of the new birth. What is true and real to the essential nature of the new birth. Now, I know that's complicated, so let me try to simplify this for us. When we received the new birth, something new was implanted in us, was it not? The Spirit of God was implanted in us. Jesus Christ himself came to live within us. And again, that means that if we have this new element within us, then we need some new kind of nourishment. We need something new if that aspect of our being is to grow. And there are only certain things that are in keeping with this newness of life that we have. There are only certain things that are in keeping with the Spirit that is abiding within us, with Jesus Christ who is living inside of us. And so when it says that we have to long for the pure spiritual milk or long for the the milk that accords with these things, long for the milk that fits, that is in keeping with the essential nature of Jesus Christ, with the essential nature of the Holy Spirit. So in that way, the word spiritual here is actually not a bad translation, right? Because whatever we receive that is going to build us up is indeed going to be spiritual in nature, But we have to understand that the things that are of a spiritual nature that will cause us to grow up into Jesus Christ may be varied. That for each individual, there might be a different need that is going to accord with the work of God in our hearts, what we need at the moment. Now, there are some commonalities, are there not? There are certain things that all Christians have recognized are going to nourish our souls and are going to help us to grow up into the salvation. These things traditionally are called spiritual disciplines. 
Most of you have probably heard of spiritual disciplines. There's many different good books on spiritual disciplines. But the idea of a spiritual discipline is that these are spiritual practices that when we engage in them, they give us spiritual food. And some people have a very long list of spiritual disciplines. Some people have a very short list of spiritual disciplines. But however long or short the list is, there are two things that are primary. There are two things that stand out above all, as being spiritual nourishment, as being spiritual milk for us. Those two things that stand out above all are God's word and prayer. God's word and prayer. These things are the most essential ways that we are nourished in the new life that we have in the Holy Spirit. If we do not receive God's word daily, then we will starve, we will die out. Moses himself says in Deuteronomy, right, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we must see the word of God as bread. We must see it as daily nourishment that we need if we are to grow up into this wonderful salvation that has been won for us. But we also need prayer. That is, we need communion with God himself. We cannot come to God's word as if it is some uh, third thing that we come to apart from God himself. No, it is through God's word that we come to God. And when we come to God, that's what we call prayer. Prayer is coming into the presence of God, speaking with God personally, pouring out our hearts to God and relating to God in this new spirituality, this new person that God has made us to be. And so above all, I want to hold up the word and prayer as this pure spiritual milk that will nourish this new salvation, this new person that is inside of us. But again, there are other things that maybe in a season of life we will need to do if we are to draw near to God. So, for example, some have identified solitude as a spiritual discipline. Sometimes if our lives are too busy, too hectic, we're always getting new information, we're always around lots of people, we don't feel like we have any space to actually commune with God, then solitude might be a necessary spiritual discipline. You might need to say, I have to get away from all this busyness, from all these people, so that I can actually go and be alone with the Lord. And in that way, solitude might help you grow up into this salvation. Or fasting is another thing that can sometimes be very useful to us if we are to grow up into this salvation. Maybe sometimes we notice that our hunger for God, our our thirst for God, how this text calls us to long for God, like these newborn infants need milk, and we notice our hearts are not longing like that. And we notice our hearts are longing a great deal after food every day and drink every day. And so another spiritual discipline that might be needed in the moment is to say, Lord, I'm going to take a time out from this physical food that I always crave, that I always give myself, whereas I don't see myself being as faithful as I should be and getting the spiritual nourishment that I need. So I'm going to fast for a time in order to focus my gaze, to focus my heart on the spiritual nourishment that I so desperately need. And again, you may be at a place in your life where there's something in particular you have to fast from or where there's some new discipline you need to add into your life so that you can grow up by this pure spiritual milk so that you can withdraw yourself from the world, from all the nourishment, all the information, all the input that the world wants to give and let yourself be drawn to God. 
And again, part of the purpose of the church is to help one another discern that so that we can speak with one another when we feel that our souls are a bit dry and we don't know exactly how to draw near to the Lord, how to get strength from Him. We can talk with one another and say, brother, sister, what would you do if you were in my shoes? What can I do if I want to grow up into this salvation? And by God's grace and by His Spirit, He will give us wisdom for one another so that we can all encourage one another to continue to grow up into this salvation that Jesus Christ has won for us. But I do want to take just a couple minutes to focus in on how it is that we engage the Word in such a way that we can grow up into salvation because the Word of God, the Scriptures, are the most necessary food that we have. The most necessary food that we have. If you are here this morning and you are a believer, then you should have a daily practice of taking in God's word. It doesn't need to be anything heroic. It doesn't need to be hours long, although God bless you if you're able to do something like that. But it does need to be something where you are getting God's word into your soul. And there are a few ways where we can approach God's word and it doesn't feel like food for our soul. It doesn't feel like this pure spiritual milk. It might feel dry and lifeless. And so how is it that we can come to God's word daily and get nourishment from it? Well, the first principle that I would give to you is to avoid things that snatch away the seed of the word. Avoid things that snatch away the seed of the word. So you could have just five minutes in the Word each day. And five minutes in the Word could be enough to feed you all day if you are meditating upon that Word, if you are considering that Word and remembering that Word all day long. But of course, most of us are not able to do that, right? Most of us might take five minutes in the Word and then our attention immediately shifts to something else and to something else and to something else. And in that way, the seed of the Word is snatched away. There's a famous parable that's in three of the Gospels called the parable of the sower, where it's about someone who is sowing the word of God. Namely, they were preaching the word of God, and they were sowing the word of God very liberally. They were just kind of scattering it everywhere, okay? They weren't a good farmer. They weren't just making sure all their seed was, you know, in a good patch of soil. No, they were just casting their seed everywhere. And because they were casting their seed everywhere, a lot of seed fell on places where that seed could not take root. In fact, the parable gives us three different places where the seed went and it could not take root. One place the seed could not take root was a path. And that was because the path is very packed down. And Jesus says that when the seed fell there, the devil immediately came and took it away. This is analogous to having hardness of heart to not being willing to really truly listen to the word when it comes to you. Instead, you come and you read the word as if it's something out there, not something that you yourself have to apply, not something that you yourself need to be convicted of and to grow in. And as a result, the word just kind of bounces off of you. And the, and the devil comes and he snatches away the seed of the word. So the first call to engage the word rightly, to make sure that it actually takes root in your heart, is to come to the word humbly. Just admit, acknowledge that this is God's word and that God's word is higher than any thought that you have, than any opinion that you have. And when you come to God's word, you will learn from God's word. You will not sit in judgment over it. You will not take exception to it. You will not try to qualify every last thing to make it fit your preconceived notions. No, you will let God's word reign over you. 
You will come to it humbly. You will let it speak to you. And in that way, the word will have the opportunity to take root. Another way that the seed can be snatched away is when it falls on rocky ground, Jesus says. And the seed that falls on rocky ground, Jesus says that it immediately shoots up. It immediately looks like it's bearing fruit because the the soil is very shallow, so the roots can't go down. And so instead, the plant shoots up. But then, as soon as the heat of the day comes, as soon as any kind of suffering comes, the plant withers and it dies. So that the seed that initially looked really promising is now just a dead plant. And so another thing that can make the seed of the word, the milk of the word, not really nourish our souls is when we don't let it take root. When we have a lot of rocky soil in our hearts so that when suffering comes, we realize that we actually do not love the God who would welcome suffering into our lives and we would rather oppose him than serve him in the midst of suffering. Beloved, if you want to get the rocks out of your life, if you want to get the rocks out of your soul, then again, you must come to God's word humbly, learning daily, asking for God's word to teach you, not just asking for God's word to reaffirm the things that you already know. You must grow in grace. You must grow in knowledge. And by that, the roots continually deepen and deepen so that then when suffering comes, you're not suddenly caught by surprise, like you didn't know this was going to happen. But instead, because you've learned from God's word each day, gain something new, you are ready when the suffering comes and God's word is then milk for your soul. But the last thing, and maybe what's most dangerous to all of us here, is the thorns. This sower scattered some of his seed, some of God's word among thorns. And Jesus says that these thorns are the cares of the world. So that yes, the plant takes root, and yes, the plant grows up, but as it grows up, these thorns twist around it and wrap around it, so that as the thorns wrap around it, it chokes out the plant, and it kills the plant. Beloved, I think this is the number one culprit for the seed of God's word, for the nourishment of God's word not doing anything in your life. Because you come to God's word and you read it, And you might feel good that you read it, and you might really enjoy God's word in the moment, but again, then when you turn to your day, you turn to so many cares of the world. You turn to so many things that are not of spiritual concern, but are of worldly concern, and you never pause and consider, what would the Lord have me do today? And so when we come to God's word, we must understand that how we spend the rest of our day as well matters to whether or not that word is going to do any good for us. Are we living our lives such that we can be continually mindful of God's word? Or are we living our lives with such busyness, so full of worldly things, of cares of this world, that it is easy for God's word to suddenly be pushed into the background so that we don't consider it anymore? Now, I I praise God that God has created Christians with many different bandwidths here, right? I'm always amazed at some men who are so gifted that it seems like they can read every new book that comes out. They can be on top of all the latest news. And of course, they can opine on how God's word interacts with all these books and the latest news. And it truly seems that they are spiritual men. It seems like they really are being nourished by God's word and they truly do love Jesus. But beloved, I know myself, and I know that I am not one of those men. 
If I tried to keep up on every last thing that was going on in the news, if I tried to keep up on every newest book that was being published or every latest happening in the world, my spiritual life would very soon run dry. I've experienced this numerous times in the past. In fact, just this week, I had to delete Twitter from my phone because I noticed that I would read God's Word in the morning and then whenever I had a short break during the day, I'd pull up Twitter and I'd be really in the know about whatever Twitter was riled up about. But I would not be in the know about what God's Word said. And so these cares of the world would come and snatch away the seed of the Word so that I was not concerned about my spirituality. I wasn't concerned about prayer. I wasn't concerned about how near I was to the Savior. I was concerned about who was right and who was wrong on Twitter. And beloved, all of us have these cares of the world that can snatch away the nourishment of God's Word. And so this call that Peter has for us here to, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, we must understand that there is only one thing, beloved, that can feed our souls. Just like a newborn infant, there's only one thing that can feed that infant, and that is the milk from its mother. In the same way, for us, there's only one thing that can ultimately feed our souls, and that is God himself. And again, his word is the primary way above all other things that he nourishes us, that he feeds us. And so we must develop lifestyles. We must develop rhythms of life, patterns of life, habits of thought, habits of heart, where God's word is continually upon our minds and upon our hearts. One good way to test this in your own heart is to ask yourself in the midst of any activity that you're doing is, Could you pause in that activity and pray right then for God to sincerely bless what you were doing? And in the activity that you're doing, could you pause and sincerely pray for God to bless what you're doing? If you can sincerely pray for God to bless it, then that means that you are living according to this milk of God's word. But if you find yourself in some activity where you're like, you know what, I don't really know how this is connected to God and I don't really feel comfortable asking God to come and bless me in this activity, That's probably something that you need to remove from your life, beloved. So everything that we do, we need to do in light of God, inviting God in, asking for God to nourish us in all that we do. And in this way, we will grow up into salvation. Now that's the the positive emphasis that Peter has for us here. And the, the one command, the one imperative in these verses is that word long. Again, epipatheo. That is the command for us, long for the pure spiritual milk. And I'm convinced that no matter how much spiritual milk we may get in a day, that command will still hold true for us. We should still long for more. We will never come to a point in our lives where we can say, ah, finally, I've gotten enough spiritual milk and I don't need any more. We won't come to that point in our lives. We won't come to that point in any given day. Part of the habit of the Christian heart is to always long for more. And the reason we always long for more is because we know that God himself always has more to give, right? God is greater than our imaginations. He is greater than anything we could ever imagine or hope or think. And precisely because God is greater, the way we respond to that in faith is we long, we desire, we earnestly desire more because we know that God has more to give. And so that is the positive action of the Christian heart, is it longs for more spiritual milk. But Peter also has a negative action that we are to take. That is things that we are to put away, right? Things that we are not to do. 
He says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. If we are to grow up into the salvation that God has provided, then we must put away all of these things. Death cannot reside with life. Malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander cannot be found among us, beloved. To whatever extent it is found among us, our souls are shriveled up. And we are like dying newborn infants. And so when we come to Christ, as we begin to experience the nourishment of the word, we must make sure that in our hearts, in our tongues, there is no malice or deceit or hypocrisy or envy or slander. Too often these things are found in the church of God. And when they are found in the church of God, it is a sign that those individuals are not truly born again. They are not longing for that pure spiritual milk. Rather, they are living in old, dead ways, not in the salvation that God himself has provided. And so we must put away all of these wicked things. We must dive into God's word, dive into whatever discipline God may have for us so that we can come to know him. And as we do that, we will grow up into salvation. But finally, Beloved, there's a really big if in these verses, a really big if, and that's in verse 3. It says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is what's called a first-class conditional. That means that you cannot fulfill the rest. You cannot possibly hope to do the rest unless this condition is fulfilled. Unless you have actually come to taste that the Lord is good, you will not be able to grow up into salvation. You will not be able to put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. There's one thing that must happen first. And that one thing that must happen first is you must taste that the Lord is good. You must taste that the Lord is good. Beloved, isn't it so easy to see how the rest of these verses flow naturally from this starting point? If you indeed taste that the Lord is good, how could you help but be like a newborn infant longing for milk, right? The newborn infant tastes the milk, and the newborn infant says, this milk is good. And the newborn infant longs for it. In the same way, beloved, we will not long for that milk. We cannot fulfill this command unless we first taste that the Lord is good. And beloved, when we taste that the Lord is good, then there is no way that we could possibly turn away from him. It is impossible because when we taste the goodness of the Lord, we taste that which there is nothing better. We taste the best thing in all of existence. Tasting that the Lord is good is tasting the very best thing. When it says, taste that the Lord is good, it's speaking to something that is extremely sensory, right? When we taste something with our mouths, it's like an explosion of flavor, right? It's a wonderful feeling to taste really good food, to taste really good drink. It's something that we can really sense ourselves, but then we can have a hard time describing for others, right? 
I always laugh a little bit when I read, uh, you know, descriptions of the taste on a bottle of wine. You know, all the fancy vocabulary they're using. Like that's supposed to help me know what that wine is actually going to taste like. Right? There's the, the, the sense of taste is so personal, so individual, that when we taste that something is good, we can try to explain it to somebody else. We can say, this is what it tastes like to me, but we will fail because taste is so powerful, so personal. And so when it says, taste that the Lord is good here, it's, it's advocating for, it's saying that every believer must have this intensely individual experience of tasting this conscious realization of the goodness of the Lord. Beloved, if you're not sure that you have tasted that the Lord is good, that means you have not tasted that the Lord is good. Because when you taste that the Lord is good, it's unmistakable. Again, it's indescribable how good the Lord tastes. And so if you do not know that you have tasted the Lord is good, come to him this morning. Taste him this morning. God is eager for you to come and taste of his goodness. That is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that you could taste of his goodness. And so come to Christ this morning and taste of the goodness of the Lord. I love how the Puritan Richard Sibbs talks about tasting the goodness of the Lord. Uh, in one of his famous series of sermons on Isaiah 29, where it talks about the, the wedding supper of the Lamb, Richard Sibbs goes through why the Lord tastes so good. And he has a long list, but there are really three primary things that stand out. And the three primary things that he says that make the Lord taste so good is, number one, that the Lord gives us the best of everything. Number two, that the Lord gives us an abundant variety of everything. And number three, that the Lord gives us abundantly or an extremity of everything. He says that these are the three things that characterize the feast of the Lord or the goodness of the Lord. Again, the first thing is that we get the very best of everything. When you come to the Lord and when you taste the goodness of the Lord, you taste the very best redemption. You taste the very best love. You taste the very best peace. You taste the very best sweetness. There is no quality higher than the Lord. In the food world, there's various different ways to grade foods, right? We grade meats, grade cheeses. There's lots of different ways to grade our food. Well, when it comes to tasting of the Lord, He is the very highest grade. He is the very finest food. As much as you may pursue good food or good worldly enjoyments, beloved, pursue the Lord all the more because He is better than them all. Whatever earthly enjoyment you may enjoy, You can enjoy the Lord more because he is better. He tastes better. He is the very best of foods. Again, Sib says that the Lord gives us a wide variety of food. When he spreads a banquet before us, when he invites us to himself, he invites us to taste many different things and every different thing that we need. If we are sorrowful, he can make us happy. If we are broken, he can heal us. If we are miserable, he can redeem us. If we are defiled, he can sanctify us. If we are guilty, he can justify us. He can give us a whole variety of needs to satisfy our souls. There is nothing that we need that the Lord cannot provide. He offers us the richest abundance, the richest variety. And so whatever your need may be, look to the Lord and he can provide it for you. He will provide it for you. There is nothing you need that he cannot provide. And then lastly, the Lord gives abundantly of everything. He gives abundantly of everything. 
If you are unsettled, if you are anxious and you need peace, the Lord doesn't give you just a little dropper of peace, just kind of hoping that it might be enough to last you another hour or another two hours. No, he says, come to me. Come to me and I will give you peace like a river. I will give you abundant peace. If you are feeling abandoned, if you are feeling unloved, God does not say, come to me and I will love you just a little bit, you know, so that you can feel a little bit comforted, a little bit appreciated. No, God says, come to me and I will pour out on you the richest of loves that the world has ever known. I will give you all that you need. And so it is, beloved, with any way that we need the Lord, when we come to the Lord, he gives abundantly. But again, beloved, to receive from the Lord in this way requires, as verse 2 says, that we do long for this milk. We can't just sit back in front of the TV expecting God to suddenly pour out everything on us that our soul needs. No, we must find ways to long after this milk, to long after God himself, so that then we might taste that the Lord is good. Beloved, this is my hope for every one of you. This is my hope for myself every single day, every single week, that you will taste and see that the Lord is good. Because if you taste and see that the Lord is good, then the entire world could come against you. You could lose everything that you have, but you will not lose him because of how good he is. And so come to the Lord this morning. Come to the Lord through Jesus Christ. Come to the Lord through his death and resurrection, knowing that there is now no barrier to coming to him. There is no barrier to tasting him. All you need to do is ask. All you need to do is come. And when you come, when you long, when you open your mouth and pant, the Lord will fill you up richly indeed. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we indeed rejoice that you are a God who is so good to our taste. We rejoice that you are not a God who is far off, a God who cannot satisfy but that you are actually a God who is near, who who nourishes us with pure spiritual milk. And so, God, we ask for this milk this morning. We long for that milk this morning. Would you feed us, God? Would your word be implanted in our souls? Would we grow up into this amazing salvation that you have purchased for us? Lord, as we ask these things on our behalf, we will also earnestly come before you with the needs of the world, and we ask that you hear these things as well. We come before you in repentance, Lord, knowing that we in ourselves are not righteous, but you delight to make us righteous. And so, Lord, would you hear our prayers of confession, hear our prayers of intercession now as we come before you, Longing for you, God.